Church. Looking forward to uh, speaking to you this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing, well, I'm going to be continuing talking about overcoming our fears. This is part eight of a 10 part series, and um, I'm looking forward to talking to us this morning. This whole series is designed to actually help us to change our mindsets and thought patterns that might be aligned more with the world's way than with God's way of living. And uh, the very first session, I set a foundation of the ABCs of, uh, if we get the ABCs right, we can then start to build from that point forward. And the ABCs are simply, A is to accept that God loves us. B is to believe that Christ died for us and on the third day rose again just for you. And the C's is to commit our life and our fears to him so that he can take us on a journey and we can give those over to him. And this, this uh, part today, I'm actually speaking into the fear of commitment. And, and sometimes, you know, we can go on these journeys. I know that uh, it's been confronting for me as I've been diving into some of these fears that something sometimes gets uh, raised up within us, it gets stirred up within our own hearts and our lives. And I want to say to you, I recognize that. And if you're wanting to go on that journey of really digging deeper into some of the things and the responses that you may have uh, as we walk through this series, that I can put you into touch with some resources, I can provide some resources for you that will help you in that journey. I can recommend some people that uh, you might like to talk to. Uh, they are both sometimes free and sometimes they will charge for that. It depends on what you are wanting to seek that person out for. But I just want to say that the resources are available and I can put you into touch with those. So welcome to part eight of this Overcoming Our Fears series. Uh, many problems uh, I've discovered uh, that Problems come because we actually take ourselves way too seriously, sometimes more seriously than we take God. I'm not sure if you've discovered that um, yourself. And so today I want us to look into this whole fear of commitment that we might have. And it's quite often, it's, it's a common fear in many people. We don't like making long-term commitments. We hear phrases or comments like, um, I, I, I want to keep my options open. Uh, I just want to keep my opportunities out there. Well, I don't have uh, all of the information. I've only got 99% of the information I need to be able to make a commitment. So, you know, until I get the 100% of, of information, I can't make that commitment. So people don't like to make long-term commitments today. And quite often, we, as a result, we miss out on God's best for our lives. Many times, people go from relationship to relationship, never developing any depth because they fear commitment. So even sometimes people miss out on salvation because of a fear of commitment. So the thing I'm going to ask us today is, why do we fear making commitments? And how do we overcome those fears? And so the first part is, how, uh, why do we, we fear making commitments? Well, the, 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 the part of it is that the, uh, the whole thing about the importance of making commitments is that the Bible teaches us that... And nothing is as important as the commitments that we make in life. God wants us to make wise commitments. And if we make the wrong commitments, it can affect every area of our lives. And the Bible actually says and, and shows that commitments show three things. Our commitments show three things. Number one, our commitments reveal our values, the things that we value in life. 
The things that we commit ourselves through our time, talent, and treasure reveal what we think is really important in life. Our values, we might say that our family is important, but if we never commit time to that family, then we're just kidding ourselves. Okay? Uh, if we say that God is number one in my life, but we never commit time or money or energy to developing that relationship with God, then again, we're just kidding ourselves. We're just giving verbal uh, assent or verbal thought uh, to it, but we actually don't have any commitment to, to doing that. That's why as a church, we're committed to saying we are about creating an encounter, having an encounter with God and becoming a passionate follower of Jesus. Now, that word passionate doesn't mean to say that I'm all frothed and bubbles and I'm an extrovert. We can have passion and not be excited on the outside. I know that there are people, that, the details people, the introverts in our world, they are passionate to certain things, just that you can't see it on the outside sometimes, but it no, doesn't deny that they are passionate about that, and that's why we're going on that whole journey. So our values are revealed through our commitments. Our commitments really show what we value. Matthew 6.24 says, no one can serve two masters. You know, it's, uh, um, I, I heard this statement uh, last night that, you know, sometimes we can be two people uh, inside. You know, and some, at one, some point, one of those personalities inside of us is going to trip the other person up. You, know, you can't be two people in the one person. Let's be solid and let's be focused in, in those commitments that we're, we're trying to follow through. Jesus is saying in, in the, that you can't serve two masters. He's saying we don't have time for everything. Selection is the name of the game. We have to choose and look at what we choose so that you know, it tells us what we consider to be valuable. Conversely, if we're not committed to anything, it means that we really don't value anything. Uh, it means that we value ourselves. We value our independence more than we value anything else. And see, a non-committed life is simply selfishness. It says, I, want to commit, I don't want to commit to anything, uh, and that means I really don't value anything else apart from me. And that's really what I don't think that God is asking us. So the question I need to ask us in, in this part here is, what do your values tell you about what you value? It's a good question to ask ourselves, because sometimes, you know, uh, people have said in the past, if you show me your checkbook, I can show you what you value. Because our finances will follow what we value. That's another sermon. Secondly, our commitments actually shape our character. They determine what kind of person that we're going to be. We'll become what we're committed to. Therefore, we need to choose our commitments carefully. We are the sum total of our commitments and our habits. Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, your life is shaped by your thoughts. It's a good statement. If making money is the most important thing in your life, then it's going to shape your character. If being liked is the most important thing in your life, then that likewise is going to shape your character. Our character is shaped by the things that we choose and the commitments that we make. Thirdly, commitments determine our destiny. Our commitments determine our destiny. Each time we make a choice, it has consequences here and in eternity. Even the most insignificant choices that we make on a daily basis have implications long term. We need to choose our commitments carefully. See, the thing I've learned is that wise people don't just drift through life. They sit down, they consider, they think through, they make decisions about where they're wanting to go 
today. If you, if you uh, are wanting to be in a certain position or a certain place, have a certain ethos in life in five years' time, if you want to be further down the track, track uh, insofar as being a bigger person, having a greater s- a sense of influence within the community and in your own world, then today you need to make choices that are going to lead you to the goal that you want to achieve. If I, say, as a, as a for instance, wanted to be a, a top-class cabinet maker uh, five, ten years down the track, then today I need to do things that are going to take me in that direction of my life, if that's the passion. So our, our, our choices, our commitments, actually help us to determine our destiny in life. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 37, says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? There's this whole thing, like think about the word exchange, you know, it's just amazing. We're going to live for an average of 21,000 to 29,000 days in our life. That's, that's just a rough average. Each one of those da- days, we are going to be exchanging life for something. We may exchange it for a day of watching TV a day on the golf course, but we are exchanging our life for something. The Bible says we need to think about that. So the question I ask is, are we getting a good good deal out of that exchange? Secondly, what are we going to exchange our life for? We need to make sure that it's it's something that's going to draw out destiny. It's something that's going to make a difference sometimes in our life. And I've got to tell you that having rest and relaxation and enjoying life, that's just as important. It takes us in the direction of our life. Because if we're on the go all the time, all the time, all the time, just feeding out, giving out, and just not feeding ourselves, not having balance in our lives, that has a, 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 an adverse uh, consequence upon our life as well. We need rest. But we don't need to live a complete life of rest. We need to balance it with, uh, with every area of our lives. I saw a, a powerful illustration this week um, at a meeting, a state conference, uh, not state conference, a state uh, pastor's meeting we had with Pastor Joel LaBelle from uh, Hillsong Church. He oversees all of Australia insofar as the Hillsong uh, network of churches. And he made this statement that sometimes like uh, we, we think that having... Uh, our life in balance, like work, uh, rest, prayer, uh, relationships. We think that it's all on this level playing field and it's very stable like this. That, you know, it's, it's like uh, everything's just in its place. We've got everything in equal balance, you know. But how many of us know that that's not, the, that's not reality? That's not true life, okay? This is what those areas of our lives really look like. And it's where you're standing on, on your life, you know, you, you think, oh, I've got to do more play. No, well, then, oh, out of balance, I need to get back into relationships. And we're all over the place. And that's what life is. We're trying to, to find our balance, to find that, you know, you spend too much time in that area, well, then you go back off and get into another area of life. That's what life's like. And this is what our, our commitments are going to tell us, where we need to be focusing our attention and stuff. Okay, <clears throat> so why do we fear making commitments? A good question, a good question. Number one, one of the primary reasons we fear making a commitment is because of past hurt. 
We're often afraid of commitments because we've been hurt in the past by making commitments. Maybe a bad experience in a marriage. Uh, we think that we'll never love again. Maybe a bad experience in a church. That can happen. With an ex-partner, perhaps. A business that uh, didn't go so well. A former friend. Maybe we, we, we have a memory from our childhood where a parent was absent because of a choice that they'd made to make a commitment in a certain area and you've got hurt as a result of that. These things can be the reason why we fear making commitments. The problem is that we're always allowing the things that have hurt us in the past to continue to, 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 to determine our future. And that's simply unwise. Our past is past and it can't hurt us anymore unless we allow it to. Our past is not our future. Just because we made a commitment in the past and we got burnt doesn't mean that we're going to get burnt the next time we make a commitment. In fact, what we need to do is to learn from the experience and to put in safeguards and boundaries and guidelines so that when we make a fresh commitment, we make it with wisdom. That's why wise people are making things in their lives to help them to succeed in what they are doing. It's really good to learn from our mistakes, but there's a better way. Learn from the mistakes of someone else so that you don't get hurt. That's why relationships are so important. We need relationships with other people so that we're walking through life with people that we can learn from and that they can learn from us. It's, it's this give-take thing. If you're not in relationship with people, then you know, I, I encourage you to think about that. Why aren't you? That's why we've got connect groups. We want people walking through life together as a support mechanism for each other. We want you to be in a small group because, you know what, quite often, you know, I can talk about stuff on a Sunday, but you're never going to dig deeper into this unless you're a part of a small group of people. You say, well, what do you think about what Pastor Gary said about that on Sunday? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You dig deeper. You, you ask questions. You challenge mindsets in a right way. Anyhow, that's a freebie. Okay, second thing why we fear making commitments is that self-doubt causes us to fear making a commitment. See, James 1 verse 8 says, a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. Trying to sit on a fence is painful and it's unstable. Okay, I've, I've tried doing that as a kid. Didn't work out well. Okay, my advice is don't do it. All right, don't sit on a fence. We don't commit because of self-doubt. We doubt our ability to make a wise decision. Every time we, we doubt, we are actually second-guessing ourselves and setting ourselves up for failure. We start spending all of our energy on our doubts rather than on making the decision work. We're reaffirming, well, this is not going to work because, 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 because. Because, because, because. We're on the Sorry. We should put more energy into saying, you know what, this is the right decision, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. We need to deal with those doubts up front. Instead of always second-guessing, did I do the right thing, just make it the right thing, and then put all the energy into supporting that decision, that de decision and stop doubting yourself. See, a double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. So, we get into this thing about what I call the what-ifs. What if I don't like it? 
Or what if I want to back out of it? What if I'm not competent and, or adequate to the expectations that are unnecessary? Here's, here's one. Sometimes we make this decision to have children. Then what if we have them and it doesn't work? We don't like them. <laughs> oh, you're just going to live with that one. <laughs> You've got a problem. We fear making commitments. We doubt our ability to make wise decisions and we doubt our ability to keep the decisions that we make. So my question to us this morning would be this. What self-doubt does God need to breathe on to give you a confidence to make a wise and informed commitment today? What mindset needs to be shifted in your thinking and in your understanding to stop doubting yourself and to start to back yourself? It's the value of making declarations in our lives, really. One of the commitments we we could make or the declarations that we could make is I'm a wise person. I'm not double-minded. God has given me wisdom because I've asked for it. What a great declaration to say to yourself every day when you wake up. I'm going to make wise decisions today. I'm going to back my decisions with confidence. We also make uh, fear-making commitments due to a desire for independence. We love to be independent. We are living in the me generation. I don't know if you've noticed that. In November, I, I learned this, uh, in November of 2013, the Oxford Dictionary announced an Australian word as the word of the year. This word was selfie. It made the Oxford Dictionary, the Australian word selfie, made the Oxford Dictionary in November 2030, and they named it the, 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 um, the word of the year. Selfie uh, simply means to take one's own picture with a smartphone or a webcam and then post it on social media. We live in the me generation. We've got to do what's best for me. The desire for independence causes us to idolize independence. And the truth is, independence is not all it's cracked up to be. It's no coincidence that the most independently minded generation is also the loneliest generation. We can have 443 friends on Facebook, but no one to talk to. Just because you've got a friend on Facebook doesn't mean to say that you could share the deepest secrets with, you, with them. There are people who have lots of friends on Facebook but are lonely. It's about the me generation. The dark side of total independence is loneliness and God did not make us to be independent. He made us to be interdependent. That we are in relationship with one another. I talked about that. In, 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 like the fear of being alone, the fear of loneliness earlier in this series. God did not make us to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, he says in his word. The question I have for us this morning then is this. Do you think life is all about you? What about who or what could you commit to if life isn't all about you? I love um, Rick Godwin's book on living the, the purpose-driven life. His opening statement 
in that book is this. It's not all about you. The opening sentence in that book is it's not all about you. Fourthly, perfection. Perfectionism causes us to fear making commitments. Insisting that everything be perfect before we make a commitment. If you're a part of that commitment, I'm not sure we're going to get off to a good start in this commitment. I don't know about you, but I do know me. I've got to tell you, this might be a surprise for some of you. Okay, get ready for a shock. Okay, steal yourself. Make sure you're sitting squarely. You don't want to fall off your chair. Okay, here's an insight into me, all right? I'm not sure I can say it, (laughs) but I'm not perfect. Ask Jane. Or or my daughter Naomi just said, (laughs) thank you, daughter. Don't you love it when your family's in church? I love it when my family's in church. They keep you honest. I heard an amen from the back row. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Someone needs to write that down. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. It doesn't work out that way. We say things like, I'm aiming to make that commitment, but I don't feel the right vibe right now. One of these days I'm going to make that commitment. I know it's important in life. See, the trouble is with one of these days is it turns out to be none of these days. We just aren't going to make that happen. We say things, when things settle down, then I'll make that that commitment. But the reality is we live in uh, the lucky country, and I'm not sure whether you've noticed this or not, but life is hectic. It's frantic. There are people that are doing two, three jobs, uh, and they're, they're raising a family, they're, they're living life. I mean, even if they're not doing two or three jobs or one job or whatever, they're looking after their family, they're, they're trying to make ends meet. Life just isn't easy, and it's not perfect. Life's fast, and we're not going to settle, it's not going to settle down, so let's stop using it as an excuse for we can't be committed to anything. We can't be committed to our family, to God, to, to our church, to our friends, and the things that are important in life. Here's a question. Have you ever gone to one of those smorgasbords? You've know, gone to a fancy sort of nice place to, to eat, and, and you have one of those smorgasbords. You start right at the beginning, but you don't want to load your plate up because you want to save the best bits till last. You, know, you want to make sure that you get to the good stuff in that smorgasbord. And, and the, the, the thing is this, that we don't want to fill our plate up too soon because we want to save some space for the really good stuff. That's okay to a point, Okay. But there comes a point on that smorgasbord that we make a, have to make a commitment. We've got to put something on our plate or we're going to get to the end of the smorgasbord. You have nothing on your plate. That's never going to happen with me. There will be something on that plate for me. I might not like it all the time, but I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to eat it. See, that's a parable for life, I believe. People say, I'm going to keep my options open. I'm not going to commit to church. I'm not committing to Christ. I'm not committing to my connect group. I'm not committing to anything. 
And then when they get to the end of their life, broken, lonely and desolate, all because they kept their options open and they've ended up with an empty plate. So how do we overcome the fear of commitment? There's three things I believe that we need to do. Number one, we need to ask God for wisdom in making commitments. Ask God for wisdom so that we don't make dumb commitments or choose the wrong things. James 1.5 says, if any of you, does that mean you? Are you included in that any of you? If anyone, are you an anyone? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously, generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. In other words, God is going to tell you stuff that you need to know and he's going to give it to you regardless of what he knows you are going to do with it. He's going to give you how to live and to make commitments in your life, how to, to succeed in life, how to avoid problems, how to avoid pitfalls and, and traps and, and temptations and, and things that are happening in our world. God is going to give you that without finding fault and he's going to give you that information, that wisdom generously to you. Because I want to tell you right now, God wants you to succeed. God wants you to overcome. God wants you to experience breakthrough in your world. God wants these things for you because he loves you and he gives generously. God's willing and waiting and ready to help us to make wise, smart decisions. Commitments reveal our values, they shape our character, and they determine our destiny. So God knows that, and he wants us to make commitments that include him in that process. We've got to ask God about some stuff. God, do you want me to accept this appointment? God, do you want me to take this job offer? God, do you want me to marry this person that I'm going to be living for with the rest of my life? God, do you want me to get involved in this ministry? Pray about it. Ask God for wisdom so that we can glorify him with the result. (laughs) Tough crowd today. Tough crowd today. Okay. First thing we need to do, and how do we overcome the fear of commitment? We need to ask God for wisdom. Secondly, compare the benefits with the cost. Compare the benefits with the cost. What am I saying? Is the payoff greater than the price? In every commitment, there's give and take. God doesn't want us making commitments where we give more than what we get out of it. Okay? Is the cause worth the cost? Are the benefits greater than the cost? Jesus is very specific about the benefits of committing our life to him. The Bible lists very clearly the benefits of commitment to Christ. Benefits such as, finally, we have a significant purpose in life. We know why we are born. We recognize and receive forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present and future. It's a benefit of committing our life to Christ. We get power to overcome hurts, habits and hang-ups that are messing up our life. 
God gives us the things, the power that we need to do to overcome in those areas. It's a benefit. And the cost is we simply make a commitment to him. We we get a secured place, prime real estate in heaven. It even comes with a mansion. You get to walk on streets that are gold, baby. Carve your name in that sucker. On the other hand, Jesus never beat around the bush about the cost of following him either. He wasn't wishy-washy. He said it very clearly to us. He says in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to commit your life to me, then you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me daily. Jesus is real clear. When we consider the cause and the cost, the payoff and the price tag, the benefits far outweigh any cost that we could ever give. Proverbs 20.25 says, It's a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly, rashly and then only later to consider that vow. It's the difference between a person who builds their house on rock and a person who builds their house on sand. Consider the cost. Jesus talked about this. Don't go to war until you've counted the cost. If there's someone that's coming against you with 20,000, and do you think that your 10,000 is going to be able to defeat the person who's coming with 20,000? If you can't, go and make a treaty. This is good preaching, I've got to tell you. I might get the tape myself. That showed me age. It's a trap to make a commitment and not think about it first. That's why we need to ask God for the wisdom. That's why we've got to count the cost. What I tell people about making a decision is, do this. Grab a piece of paper, draw a line smack down the center of it, pros, cons at the top of it. Okay, everything that's a pro, everything that's positive about that that decision that you're needing to make. Write all, all those things. This is good, this is good, this is good. Okay, then write out the bad things. Okay, what are the things that are contrary to it being a good decision? If the pros outweigh the cons, ask God. If he gives you the nod, go for it. You've got to think about it. What are the pros and cons? What's the benefit? Does it outweigh the cost of doing it? Luke 14, 27 says, don't begin until you count the cost. Check it out. Is there going to be any value in this commitment greater than what you put into it? It's a great question. Thirdly, third, number one, ask God. Second, find out about the benefits. Do they outweigh the cost? And the third thing is trust God to help us keep our commitments. Trust God to help us to keep our commitments. Not just make them, but actually keep them. Proverbs 37 verse, sorry, Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him to help you do it, and He will. That's Psalm 37 verse 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him to help you to do it, and He will. If we commit our life to Christ, we're a believer. Then the commitments we make in life aren't simply dependent upon our own will, our own willpower to keep them. Now, all of a sudden, we get God's help, God's power to keep those commitments. I've got to tell you, that's great news. Because sometimes I just can't do it. But I know that God can through me. Philippians 2.13 says, It's God who's at work within you, giving you both the will and the power to accomplish his purpose. People say, I would commit my life to Christ, but I don't 
want to make that commitment to Christ until the, I know that I can keep that commitment. We're missing the point. We're missing the point. Just take the first step of committing your life to Christ. God's going to help you to do the rest. If we don't allow God to do that, we're independent again. We're not interdependent upon Christ. That was a good point. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, God is able to keep that which I've committed to him. He does the keeping. It's his job. It's not up to us. Some of us have struggled with years about our commitments. Commitments to our family, to God, commitments to the church. Some have delayed giving your life to Christ because of a fear of commitment. Some of you have delayed being baptized in water. You just haven't taken that next step. Some of you delayed finding a church home to join. Some of you delayed getting involved, finding a ministry and discovering what your gift and talent are and using them for God's glory because you fear making a commitment. We've thought about that and we've included that in our growth track as a church. It's why we're giving you the, the Essentials 201, the essential things for living a victorious Christian life. Part three is talking about our gifts and abilities, the purpose of discovering our purpose in life. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What commitments are we afraid to make? Bless you. Some need to make commitments to honesty in your relationship. You're not telling the person how you really feel, so you're not going to break through to a greater degree of intimacy in that relationship. Now, I think that we need wisdom in making that decision and being honest with people. We always talk to people with love and truth. Love before truth. And we don't do it harshly or like we've just loaded up our gun with all of the things that they've done wrong over the last 20 years and you've kept score. And you don't have a pistol anymore, you've got a machine gun. <laughs> and you unload. It's unwise to do that. Have wisdom. Ask God for wisdom in making that decision. See, there's great power in commitment. No one becomes great without focus and commitment. Our happiness, fulfillment, and our effectiveness in life is determined exclusively by the commitments we make. I heard that a group of young Chinese people read the book called The, the Sayings of Chairman Mao, and they committed it to memory and began to live it and began to say, Mao, we are yours. They took that country the largest in the world by force in the cultural revolution and today the largest country in the world where one in every four people live in China is still a communist country because of a committed minority. God doesn't need a moral majority. He needs a committed minority. Studies have shown that 2% of a population can change the culture of that particular area. What if we just said, Jesus Christ, we are yours. I'm committed to Jesus. What if the people in this church would say that? God wants us to make commitments that reflect our values, build our character, and determine our destiny. 
There's an Old Testament guy named Asa, and he was a king. At the end of his life, God had this to say about him. He said, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. What a statement. That defines a successful life right there. He was fully committed to the Lord all his life. The people that changed the world were not the most educated, they were not the most wealthy, and not the most talented either. But they were people of a deep conviction, whether it was good or bad. God is looking for people to use, committed people. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. What kind of people does God use? People whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God's looking for people to use in this world, in this culture, for good, to make an impact. And He will use us if we choose to make a commitment. What's God looking for? He's not looking for talent or wealth. He's looking for an undivided heart. I intend to be that kind of person. To have an undivided heart before God. And I want to challenge us to be a people that in a culture becoming more increasingly shallow and superficial, to stand out as a people of deep conviction. There are days coming We are in the end days, the last days. Our ability to talk openly and freely about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures are going to come to an end. It's my belief that that will happen. They will be shut off. And if we are not a people of deep conviction, of commitment to Christ, it won't be long before we're separated and like the enemy loves to do picks off the lonely the the unhealthy the weak and we are only as strong as the relationships that we have the world is yet to see what god can do through and in and for and with a person who is fully committed to christ c.s lewis said this if christianity is untrue then it's unimportant however If Christianity is true, then it is of the utmost importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Have we been trying to be a casual Christian? It's a contradiction in terms. It's like saying, I'm part pregnant. (laughs) Fellas, here's an eye-opening statement for you. You either are or you aren't. I challenge us to make a stand for Jesus Christ, to make a commitment, to seriously consider our commitments. And I believe that there are five essential commitments a person needs to make in life. Number one, a commitment first to Jesus Christ. Secondly, a commitment to his church, his family. Number three is a commitment to spiritual growth. Number four is a commitment to use the gifts and the talents that he has given us to help others. And fifthly, a commitment to fulfill our purpose in this world. Those are the commitments I believe that we need to make. Until we understand and make those commitments, we're not living, we're just existing and floating through life.
my encouragement to us this morning is this. Don't let fear keep us from making a commitment. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Did that help someone? Cool. Anyone challenged? Excellent. Pray for the rest of you. Right now we're going to make a, uh, a, a, an appeal to people. I don't know everyone here this morning. I don't know where you stand in maybe your relationship with God or you have one or you don't. But I want to make an opportunity for people to receive and make a commitment to Christ this morning. So I want everyone to just bow your heads and close your eyes. No looking around. <clears throat> this is just between you and God this morning. But there may be some people here this morning that you've never made a commitment to Christ or you've postponed it, you've heard it a number of times and, and you know, you've just been putting it off. You don't, you know, you're not really sure about what it entails. Well, it's just going to cost you everything. This morning, you felt like, you know what, you've been challenged and you feel like it's time. It's time to make a commitment. It's time to actually draw a line in the sand. It's time to put your foot down and say, I need to do this. I've postponed this for too long. So if you've never invited Christ, never committed your life to Christ, never asked Him to be the Lord of your life, never done that, but this morning you want to. This morning you say, yeah, I think that's me. I think it's time. I need to make that commitment. Is there someone here this morning? You just want to say, okay, I'm going to make that commitment this morning. I'm going to commit my life to Him. I'm not going to postpone it anymore. I'm not going to put it off. The beauty of it is that God will actually help you to make that commitment. He gives us the power to do that. You're not making a commitment that you're not going to be able to back up. I couldn't live this life without God. I could not do what I do. I could not live a normal Christian. There is no such thing as a normal Christian life anyway. But I couldn't do this without God. You're not doing this alone. All you're saying is, I'm actually going to commit to going on a process, going through a journey of walking towards God every day of my life. Is there someone here this morning? I want you to put your hand up right where you're standing and say, yes, that's me. I want to make a commitment to Christ this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? Just put your hand up nice and tall so that I can see it. Anyone at all? Okay. Maybe there's some people here this morning that you made a decision and you found yourself not following through on that. You've sort of like just gone life independent of God instead of interdependent upon God. And this morning you recognize where you're at, that you're separated from God a little bit, you know, in distance. God loves you. He's passionate about you. We've heard about that through the worship time. Maybe you just need to make a a recommitment of your life to Christ this morning. Say, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. I need you in my life. I need you in my world. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to to live this life? I need your power to do this. I can't do this alone. Is anyone here? Maybe you're in that boat. Just every head bowed again and just, you know, making sure no one's looking around. Is it just between you and God? Is there anyone here this morning? Just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all? 
Thank you. Any others? Anyone else this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for helping us to make these commitments, giving us the power to do this. Father, I, I, I just speak love and grace over everybody this morning. I thank you for the recommitment of our lives to you. Father, help us to, to stay true to who you are, knowing that you're for us and not against us, that you're here with us right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks.